I remember actually being pregnant and feeling guilty and wondering. And I think that's kind of what a lot of pregnant women go through, even when they're just going to like, when they already have a child that's been born and then you're pregnant with another one, you wonder like, am I going to love this baby the same as I love? You know, mm -hmm. you love that baby so much. You're just, how can I love? But for me, it was kind of the opposite of like, man, th when this child is born, am I going to love her more? What is that going to feel like? There's no difference in how much I love them. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. I am the adoptive mother of four children. I lived in Uganda, Africa for three years, and that's when I knew I was called to adopt. I started adopting when I worked for CBS Channel 4 in Denver, and after all my husband and I had been through, we decided to start talking about adoption. We started a show as a radio program, and we started telling adoption stories from the perspective of the adoptee, birth parent, and adoptive parents. It's now grown into the international podcast you hear today. And if you go to adoptionnow.com, you can find a story for you, I promise. There's so many stories there. We have episodes on foster care, domestic infant adoption, embryo adoption, and international adoption. We are in season five. Yay! Adoption Now is talking about real issues that are happening right now in our adoption community. If you're about to start your adoption journey or you need help in your process, we want to connect you to the resources you need. We have agencies, therapists, and lawyers that can help you. Again, just go to adoptionnow.com. Today, we have a beautiful story from California. Veronica joins the show. She is the Vice President of Children and Family Services at Wayfinder Family Services in California, and she's also the adoptive mom, biological mom, and the foster mom. Welcome to the show, Veronica. Hi, April. Thank you so much for having me. Your story is so encouraging and wonderful and not easy. No story is easy, but I love how you brought your family together. And I want to start from the very beginning. You were a social worker? Yeah, I've spent really my professional career in the field of child welfare, and I've been a residential counselor at a group home. I've been a case manager. I've been a therapist. I've been a director of residential programs, and I currently am overseeing child welfare services, housing programs, and foster care and adoption. Okay, so why did you choose to get into adoption and foster care? When I graduated from college, my first job was actually working as a counselor in a group home, and I'd always really heard of foster children and this need to really surround our foster youth, um, but I had never really seen it up close. Mm -hmm. And I think that until you really see these kids up close, you really don't have any idea of the brokenness that they come with mm -hmm. um, because of the trauma that they've experienced. And so when I had my first job out of college, I really wanted to devote my career to doing more for these kids. And so did you know that you personally were going to take that journey? No, at that time, I did not know that I would take, I, I thought that I knew that I would spend my professional career that mm -hmm. way, but I didn't know that it would come into my personal life. So when did that change? So my husband and I, we had been married for three years and we had struggled to grow our family. So on our three year wedding anniversary, I decided, okay, it's time to really see a fertility specialist and figure out what, what's going on. So we did that. We went to all of the doctor's appointments. We did all of the testing. And all of that was a very, very long process. So half the journey, um, if anyone's ever been through infertility, is half the journey is just waiting. Mm. And um, sort of in the middle of that wait, I sort of had this pool 
this feeling that I had to explore foster care. And I kind of kept pushing that feeling aside, but it's something that as I went down to sleep and was praying, it just kept coming up. And uh, one day I was driving to work and I had that same kind of feeling of, you know, you should really think about foster care. And, and I kind of even said out loud, you know, God, if this is something that you are really calling me to do, you know, give me a sign. And I turned the corner as I was driving to work and there was literally <laughs> a billboard and it was probably from one of our local foster family agencies, but it was a picture of a woman and she was reading to a small child and the billboard said, be the reason that she is safe. Mm-hmm. And, um, and That's so that was beautiful. Really, uh, that was really a very clear sign mm-hmm. for me that, okay, this is something that I need to really look into. Yes. Um, Nothing so, like a billboard. Yeah, totally. Nothing <laughs> like a, a literal sign. Right. <laughs> um So very soon after that, my husband and I started going to foster care classes. In the middle of that, we were still continuing with our infertility treatment. I love this part of your story because, you know, we have a billboard story too. And I just think it's so cool when I get to talk to other adoptive families and they share their story and it's like, oh my gosh, that happened to us too. And we did the same thing. We're like, God, we need a sign. And then we turned and we looked, we were in the midst of adopting our baby that we were going to name Lily and the birth parents wanted to name Lily. So we knew this baby's name was Lily and we're driving down the road and there's this huge billboard and it says, open your heart to Lily. And we're like, (laughs) okay, we'll do it. Isn't that funny? (laughs) Yes, totally. Okay. So you continued to pursue everything while you were doing fertility treatments. And that was fine for the state of California. You can do both. Yeah. I mean, they didn't really ask us. We we weren't like announcing to everybody that we were also doing fertility treatments, but it wasn't something that anybody had really asked us a question about. Okay. They did talk about in our classes that if you have experienced infertility, that you want to really think about whether or not foster care is right for you because there's so much grief and pain associated with that infertility journey, you know, taking in also then a child coming from a really hard place. You want to make sure that you have resolved your feelings of grief around that before you try to help another child who's been through a lot of trauma as well. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. So we were right in, you know, at the end of our classes and we did our first round of IUI and it was actually a successful pregnancy, but my numbers were very low. My doctor, she said, let's go back and take another blood test. So we did, and they did inc- my numbers increased a little bit, but they did not increase to the level that my doctor felt would, be, would lead to a viable pregnancy. So she said, you know, it's increased a little bit. Let's go back again and do another blood test. So on my third blood test, my numbers stayed exactly the same. There was no increase in my hormone numbers. So my doctor called me and she just said, you know, I'm really sorry, this is not going to be a viable pregnancy. So I did experience that miscarriage, which was really hard. It was really difficult. And I, I wanted to take a break from that infertility treatment at that time because it was just such a difficult experience. So that was in October of 2015. And we took November off. Come December, my husband said, you know, I feel like we should do another round. We should do another cycle. And I, and I, I wasn't ready. I said, no, I don't think so. I think I want to wait. You know, we're right in the middle of the holidays. If it's not successful, it could ruin our Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was just like, no, I really have a feeling about this. I think we should do it. Like, let, let's just try. And so I said, okay. Um, and then we did another round um, of um, IUI. I ended up again with a positive pregnancy and um, this time it was very, it looked like a a very viable pregnancy. So, and that was right in the last few weeks 
of us ending our foster care classes. So I got pregnant in December of 2015, and then we were licensed to become um, foster parents in January of 2016. Okay, so so when you found out that you were pregnant, did you just decide to stay on the list? We didn't really know what it would look like in terms of how long we would wait to get a call for placement. And so right when we found out that we were pregnant, we were like, well, let's just see what happens. And um, we started getting calls right away. Like the same week that we were licensed, we started getting lots of calls. And the calls that we were getting were mostly calls for sibling groups of three. Um, We got a call for a set of twins that were six months old. My husband and I were like, oh, man, that would just be so much to take on as we're also pregnant. And so we decided let's put that on hold because they just kept calling us. And I also felt like I didn't want to waste anybody's time if they're looking for a resource and calling us and us saying, no, you know, we're pregnant, so we want to take a little bit of a break. And so I called and I said, we, you know, that we wanted to go on a hold and you know, after the baby was born, we would reconsider the foster care journey. Mm-hmm. And we, we definitely knew that we wanted to do that because when we had gone through our training, it just even more pressed upon our hearts that we wanted to do foster care. Mm-hmm. So even though we were pregnant, we definitely decided to continue with like the live scanning, the home study, all of that. We were pregnant when it happened and we definitely wanted to move forward. So we knew at some point we would pursue foster care, but we felt like at that time we wanted to be put on a, on a hold. Mm-hmm. So they did put us on a hold, and I got this very random call. I was at work. It was a Wednesday afternoon, and I got this random call from our county agency that said, you know, we have this baby girl. She's three days old. She's in the hospital. Uh, We've been calling around for placement. We haven't been able to find anybody. I know you guys are on a hold. Can you take this baby? We just had so many things for babies. Our family and friends, we just have such an amazing support network. They really showered us with so many things. We had so many clothes. We had so many diapers. And, you know, we were also expecting a girl, and this baby was a girl. So it just felt like we could do it. We, we have all of the resources per, to provide a safe space for this baby. And I texted my husband, and I I let him know what was happening. And he responded and he said, I'm down. Are you down? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, okay, I'm down. Let's go get a baby. Um, So we, um, I, you know, trying to leave work that day. And I remember trying to find somebody in the office that I could say, Hey, I, you know, I got to go get a baby. I'm, I'm going to leave now. (laughs) (laughs) Can I take a Um, break? I'm going to go get a baby. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I did that. So we, went to the hospital. We picked her up and I was eight months pregnant. It was just a few days before I was supposed to go out on maternity leave. Um, and we picked her up from the hospital and we brought her home. Did you think you would adopt her or what was the situation? The short answer is no. We didn't know if it would lead to adoption yet. They knew that it was not likely that she would return to her biological mother, but they had no, they didn't know who the biological father was. So there was still um, all of the family finding on the biological father side to figure out if there would be any family resource that, you know, would be able to take her or if he himself would be able to parent. So at the time that she came home with us, we didn't know kind of where the journey would go. We just knew that we were providing a safe space for her at that time. Okay. So you bring home this baby six weeks before you give birth. Yes. So you were already not sleeping. No, we weren't sleeping. Definitely not sleeping. <laughs> I, I was. I wasn't. My husband probably was sleeping a lot better than than I was. But no, I wasn't sleeping. 
Um, she was a really awesome newborn, though. She rarely cried. She had jaundice when we brought her home from the hospital, so we had to make sure that we were on schedule with feeding her regularly so that she got the fluids. Because it was a really mild case, so she didn't need to be hospitalized or anything. Mm-hmm. But the doctor said that they wanted to make sure she got lots of fluids. So she would sleep through feedings, and we would have to, like, undress her, wake her up to feed her uh, because she was such a good sleeper when we brought her Wow. Home. <laughs> yeah. Were you like, newborns are easy. What is everybody oh, complaining yes, about? <laughs> our family and friends would call and say, you know, because she was our first baby. Mm-hmm. She made us parents. So, you know, it was our first experience with a newborn. And they would call us and say, how was it? How is, how's the night's been? How's it been going? And it's like, this is easy. This I don't know what people are complaining about when they say that newborns are hard because this is a breeze. <laughs> yeah. And then you had a baby. I did. I right. Had a baby. <laughs> okay. Um, did you get to name this first baby? When we brought her home from the hospital, she did not have a name. So my husband and I gave her a name, which is what we call her now. Her name is Grace. But as her biological mother stepped back into the picture early on, she did end up naming her as well. Because she came to the hospital with no name, we we named her. And Mm -hmm. um, when we ended up finalizing, we, we kept the name that we gave her. Did you ever call her the name the mom gave her? We tried to. You know, we named her Grace, and the reason why we named her Grace is because that's exactly what she brought into our lives. So mm. every time that, you know, you, I think, April, you've said this before, too, you, when you name a child, you're declaring who that child is. Mm-hmm. So that felt like who she was to us, but we also didn't know where this was going, so we also didn't want her being confused about, mm-hmm. um, you know, what is her name, and she was really, I mean, she was just a few weeks old, so. Right. She so, didn't yeah, know. We kind, of use, we kind of used both a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, that would be hard because you didn't know if she was going to stay with you or she was going to have a relationship with her biological mother. So it'd be hard to know, like, what name should we be calling this baby? Yeah. We have lots of, like, her first Christmas ornaments and her first, and that all has, like, the name that her biological mother gave to her. Mm-hmm. Um, also, because, like, if she were to take those things with her, I mean, we would want them to have, you mm. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we would want those to be meaningful for her. That makes sense. For the rest of her life. So it was really tricky. So tell me what it was like six weeks before you gave birth. I mean, did you attach to the baby right away? When did you fall in love with her? And were you taking her to see her birth parents? When I first laid eyes on her in the NICU where we picked her up, she, you know, I had this instant desire to really nurture her and keep her safe and protect her. But I wouldn't say that I was in love with her. But that came very quickly because When you're caring for a newborn, they are just so dependent on you for everything, for feeding, changing diapers, soothing, just, and, and also, I also believe in lots of physical contact with babies and lots of eye contact and lots of talking and singing. And so all of those are bonding experiences. And so very quickly, we did fall in love with her. I remember going into the hospital to have my other baby and really missing her. And I had a long labor. I was in labor for almost 72 hours. Um, So it was almost three days that I'd been without seeing Grace. And I really missed her. And I remember, you know, my dad was taking care of Grace while we were in the hospital in labor. And I remember as soon as I had um, my my second daughter, her name is Mikaela. um, As soon as I had her, I told my mom, you know, tell dad to bring Gracie over. I miss her. I need to see her. <laughs> I have this, this photo of me not six hours after delivering uh, Mikaela, where I am holding both of my babies. Mm. And I have this feeling of just, 
you know, you can see in the photo, I'm exhausted, but I'm just at peace with both of my babies in my arms. Mm -hmm. Your heart is full. Yes. I always say you can feel exhausted, but it's better to feel exhausted with your heart full than to feel empty and get all the sleep in the world. You know, your heart is just full, even though, you know, oh my gosh, this is a lot of diapers. First of all, I want to say, I think that the coolest part of your story to me is people often think if I had a biological child, I would not love this child as much, the adopted child, Mm -hmm. right? Because the love would just overflow in my heart for this child. And what if I don't love that child? And there's room in your heart for more children than just your biological children, right? And so you had this baby that was your flesh and blood, but you still were a mother to this other baby. Did you feel different in any way? Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you brought that up, April. I remember actually being pregnant and feeling guilty and wondering, and I think that's kind of what a lot of pregnant women go through, even when they're just going to like, when they already have a child that's been born and then you're pregnant with another one, you wonder like, am I going to love this baby the same as I love, you know, Mm -hmm. you love that baby so much. You're just, how can I love? But for me, it was kind of the opposite of like, man, when this child is born, am I going to love her more? What is that going to feel like? There's no difference in how much I love them. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of difference in how I parent them based on their personalities and who they are. But there's no difference in the amount of love I have for each of those babies. People that worry about that, it's a valid fear. I understand it because I experienced it myself. But I would encourage people not to have, like, just know that there is plenty of love to go around. Mm -hmm. And there is absolutely no difference in the amount of love that I have for my biological child versus my adopted child. How did your husband feel? The same. Actually, actually, I think (laughs) that um, it's really funny because... When Micaela was born, she was actually a really difficult newborn. She would would cry all the time. We couldn't hold her enough. We couldn't feed her enough. We couldn't. There was just, she was a very difficult newborn. So we had this one really easy, you know, newborn baby. Mm -hmm. And then we had this other newborn baby that was like kind of what you hear most people talk about in raising a newborn. So my husband would actually gravitate more toward Gracie, who was, not crying all the time. <laughs> right. I was breastfeeding when Micaela was born. And so she was constantly attached to me. And so Sergio took up a lot of the feeding responsibilities for Grace. And then I started feeling, I remember when Gracie smiled and laughed for the first time, she was laughing at him and she was smiling at him. And I remember feeling like, man, I'm missing out on this bonding experience with Grace. So that was something we had to work through also. Did you think about breastfeeding both of them or no, because you couldn't? You know, I did think about it, and I actually did ask our social worker about it, if I could breastfeed both of them. Mm-hmm. But she was like, you know, we have to we have to really ask the court about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just process never really happened. And also what ended up happening with my breastfeeding journey with Micaela is that I, I couldn't produce enough, so we had to do a lot of supplementing with formula to the point where it was like, okay, I'm just going to move over to formula because I'm not producing enough. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. I just yeah. want to say that my children all four smiled and laughed at my husband first. (laughs) And they all said, daddy, but one, and they were all so bonded. And I went and got all my children, right? I was the one in the hospital. I'm the one who stayed behind. I'm the one who woke up. And then he jumped in, like when the child would come home, like I would come back from Florida at maybe two weeks, three weeks, and he would get up in, in the night and we would trade and they were always more attached to him. Yeah. I was like, why? <laughs> that is so unfair. But I think it's a gift. I really think it's a gift 
to the husbands. And I also think it's so possible. Maybe you're a husband right now and you're thinking, will I attach? Will this baby even like me? It's not my biological child. Yes, the Mm -hmm. baby will love you. You, You can love this child. That is not your flesh and blood. It happens and it's, it's just unexplainable. And I think it's amazing. And I get a lot of people asking, the wife will say, I'm ready, but my husband is just really scared. And if my husband were here, he'd say the same thing you're saying is, absolutely, I attach to all my children very quickly and they adore their father. So yeah, I want to encourage the dads out there. You can do yeah. this. <laughs> okay, so here's the question I have for you. You're a social worker. You work every day in the foster care system. Mm-hmm. How different was it for you as a foster parent rather than the social worker? It was really challenging because our first goal always in working with families and children in foster care is reunification and connecting children back to their biological family. And that is such a beautiful story mm-hmm. when that happens. I love that you said that because it's true. Yes. We believe that reunification is a beautiful thing. And parents that stand in the interim of that time and can successfully do that, it's beautiful. It's amazing. So we are pro that as well. But now we're talking about a child that you dearly, dearly love. Yes. So that's kind of like where the difficult part comes in is because I have experienced and I believe, and I still believe in the work that I do, that when a parent steps up to the plate and really is able to provide a safe space for their child, then that child should be reunified with that parent. And that's the best for everybody. In my journey, the biological parents in my daughter's situation were not able to really provide a safe space. And also the journey for the court to decide that was very difficult because I was so in love with this baby. I bonded with her. I saw her just as my daughter. And I think that's kind of how it should be. For me, I felt like if I give every ounce of my love to this child and she leaves my home, I'm going to be broken. And in some ways, she might also experience a lot of difficulty. But if I teach her how to attach, if I pour all of my love into her, I'm never going to say, I'm never going to wake up one day and say, I really regret that I love that child. Right. So that's kind of part of what kept me going, but it was very, very difficult. Um, we had, I had a lot of moments of grief around, I don't think I've shared this part of the story yet, but when Grace was seven months old, they were able to establish who her biological father was. And we did DNA testing and the social worker called me one day and she said, listen, I got to tell you that dad has identified a family member that he would like her to be placed with. And I was devastated. I cried. I was in such grief. I was mourning for her already. And I was so sad, not just for me and my loss of her, of course, that was a part of it, but I was also so sad for um, my other daughter, Micaela, who had established this very special bond with Grace. They would laugh together. They would babble together. They just had such a special bond. They would hold hands like mm. at that young age, which is really kind of like I would take pictures and, oh, my God, they're holding hands. And I know that babies like grab everything, but they would gravitate toward each other's hands. Um, and so Aww, they're like, like twins. Totally. Yes. They were actually each born with a birthmark on their forehead, kind of in between their eyes. And then also in the back of their neck, they both had been born with the birthmark in those two spots, which is weird because they're not at all genetically. Related. Right. Aww. Um, but so, yeah, that was, and I think that the thing that kept me up most at night during that period was really the thought of 
we were so bonded, not just us to her, but also her to us. I felt so sad imagining that she would go somewhere, not know the smells, not know the Mm -hmm. people, not know the environment and wonder, where's my mom? Why did she leave me? Why Mm -hmm. did she abandon me? So that was probably the hardest part of our journey was knowing that this was a possibility. Mm -hmm. We had a story where it was very similar. And a year later, the court decided that the child was going to go back and this mother had raised this child for a year and, you know, the one-year-old doesn't get, hey, you know, you have to go. The courts are saying you have, and she left him in a, not a great condition, survivable, yes. And it was enough for the state to say, yes, she ended up getting him back. But when she got him back, he was very upset with her. It took a while to reconnect because he did, he felt like you left me. Mm-hmm. And he didn't understand. And and so she worked with him again. And it broke her heart to think he would think that she would want that, mm. you know? And these little yeah. people, they just don't understand. And I think yeah. that that is really, a, I, I agree with you when you talk about the grief mm-hmm. and being afraid of what could happen to your family and what could happen to this child. Yeah. How did you find peace in that time? It was actually my husband who helped me through that. I remember very vividly this one moment where I was in, you know, we were getting ready for bed. It was nearing a court date and I, I was so upset. I was just crying and crying. And, and my husband turned to me and he said, you know, you are in such grief over something that hasn't happened yet. And you're missing all of these really joyous and amazing moments with our children because you're so caught up in being sad. And this hasn't happened yet. Nobody's decided that she's moving. We've, we hadn't even had any visits with any other relatives at that point. And he was just like, you just, you're stuck in this state of grief over this, you know, thing that may never happen. And I just kind of was, I came to the real, the realization that, yeah, you know what I am. And I don't want to be a mom who's sad and not reading stories and singing songs with my children because I'm so caught up in this grief again over something that hasn't happened. I want to be a mom that's engaged and present and there for my kids. So that's really what helped me come out of it is really, you know, the support I had from my husband and other people around me also that just gave us so much love and support during that time. When you become a foster parent, you have to live with no regrets. You have to say, if I look back on this time, how would I want to be? Right. If I didn't give the child 100% of my heart and love this child, then I would have regret that, you know, the time that I had this child, I was scared the whole time. Or if I look back Mm -hmm. and I was crying in the times that they needed me, Mm -hmm. I will feel regret because I didn't go above and beyond and just say, hey, I'm going to cry if this happens. I sure am. But I'm going to put that, you know, on the back burner and I'm going to be 100% there. And that's a lot. It takes a lot of maturity and good thing your husband is so wise and so wonderful to help you realize, yes, you're right. And I I do that even now as a parent, like when I'm having a hard time or when my child is not listening or whatever, and I'm like, this is so hard. But then it's like, what do I want to think about when I look back on this? What kind of a mom do I want them to remember? I don't want to be, you know, stressed out about work. I don't, I want to give them what they deserve and they deserve a hundred percent mom that's there, 100% of me there. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. So I think that that's really, really good advice for foster parents who are just living in fear right now. Maybe a family member has been identified and that's a scary, scary time. What was the result? 
he did name a family member that he wanted her to go with, but this person never stepped up. Anytime that the social worker would try to reach out, they would never respond. Nobody ever stepped up. I said before that we ended up adopting her, but it took a long time, though, that there was never really a point at which social services said, oh, you're good, nobody's coming forward anymore, or oh, this person's never going to show up. There was really never that point. So we never really felt at total peace about what if somebody comes forward. We never really felt that total peace until we had the termination of parental rights. And birth mother had lost other children, right? Yes. Okay, so you knew she probably wasn't going to be reunifying, but you had to show up to all the meetings with yeah, two two small babies. Mm-hmm. We had visits with her. That was really hard, too. That was very interesting because she loved our daughter. She loved her very much, and I could see it in her interactions, and she still does. We still have visits with her today, but I could see in their interactions that she really did love her daughter and that she... I hear stories and I've seen myself in the work that I do. Sometimes parents will just kind of, you know, let their baby crawl all over the floor and not really engage with them when they're in visits or just be on their phone the whole time. She was not that, she she wasn't like that when we would visit. She was very engaged. She was very loving. She was very affectionate. She was very also inconsistent with when she would show up to visits. And also the court gave her a certain number of hours and she didn't take advantage of even scheduling those hours in. Mm. She scheduled about half the time. And even within half of the the time that she was allowed, she would, you know, be very inconsistent with showing up. So it was surprising to me how much empathy I had for her because I was able to form a relationship with her and relate to her as just a mother. But then at the same time, in the same moment that I'm trying to have empathy for her and that I'm, I know that she probably, I mean, I don't really know her entire history, but I know based on kind of where she is at in life, that she probably has some trauma history in her background. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that is, but I know what that can do to a person and how that can affect a person's ability to function in their life. And so I have this empathy for her. And then at the same time, you know, I'm feeling very frustrated because she's not showing up for a visit and I've driven out here and I've got two babies and it's not easy to get everybody together Mm -hmm. and keep a schedule. And also just, I have set that time aside for her. So I'm also not doing other things that I could be doing with my family because I've set that space aside to visit with her. And then she's not showing up and she's not telling me she's not showing up. So then there's also this frustration and this feeling as a mother of, man, if, you know, I would, I would do anything in my power to show up for my child. If I had to get up at the crack of dawn and take a five-hour bus ride mm-hmm. just to spend two hours with my child, I'm going to do that mm-hmm. because I'm so committed as a mother to my children. So then there was this also part of me that felt like angry and frustrated about how come she's not doing that. And then also remembering and realizing that, you know, she's in a very different place and has had lots of different life experiences than me. So... It was really interesting being in that process. Yeah. I mean, honestly, thank you for being open about that because I think that that is very normal for people to feel that way about birth parents. It's like you feel empathy and you love them and you also are frustrated with them. And that's okay. You can feel both of those things and you can understand that she's in a really hard position and how to love her, but at the same time, It's okay for you to be frustrated and angry when she doesn't show up or do what she said she's going to do for the child. It's Mm -hmm. it's all 
kind of messy in adoption, right? We talk about the dichotomy in so many different ways where an adopted child feels like, you know what? I feel thankful for my parents, but also upset that I'm adopted. That's two dual things going on at once. We Mm -hmm. talk to birth parents who are like, I love these adoptive parents, but I also want to keep my child. And so there's those dual things going on. And right. And you're talking about the same thing. It's like, I love her, but I'm also frustrated and that's okay. It's, it's a very honest place to be in when you can just open up and say, oh, this is just a lot. And you're not getting sleep and you have two newborns. And that is a lot on you. At the end of the day, were you thinking, we're not doing this again? Totally. Yes. I said that out loud. Um, probably more than once that like, you know, I, I would never regretted the decision to mm-hmm. move forward in the way that we did because I love my daughter so much. I, I would do anything to have gotten to this place of being able to parent her, but I wouldn't change anything. But at the same time, I remember thinking, but I'm also never going to do this again. <laughs> right. It was really hard. <laughs> When your pictures first came through, they were two babies. So mm-hmm. our staff and I thought that it was embryo adoption. I was like, where's her actual oh, story? It's separate. Because I thought, oh, they look so much alike. And they look so much alike as sisters. Mm-hmm. So to find out that, you know, you were pregnant with one and then one came through adoption is, and they look so much alike. It's so incredible. Yeah, we hear that a lot. Yes. And which is probably a blessing for both girls. You know, not only do they act like twins, they look like twins and really could be your biological daughter. I want to know how you interact with adoptive parents that was as different now than you did before, right? Because you were the social worker. I think it's just from a place of more understanding and more empathy of the difficulty that they're experiencing. I think as professionals in child welfare, we expect a lot of our foster and adoptive parents Mm -hmm. and... It's one thing to conceptualize it, and it's another thing to actually experience what it's like to be transporting back and forth to visits, to have that impact your family life in such a big way. There's also lots of, you know, travel restrictions. I, you know, we had a trip planned to Hawaii, and we had to go through a court process to get Grace to be able to come with us. And that was a long time. And it was so there's lots of things that you don't think about that families do just day to day in their lives that when you're a foster family and when you're a foster parent, all of those daily routines are impacted and you have to schedule your family time and think about even travel time in a different way. And so having that experience, I think that as I'm working with families, that's always something that I have in mind of just how difficult that journey is Mm -hmm. and having empathy and understanding and really wanting to do as much as I can to support the people that are doing that very difficult work. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's so great to hear you say that because I think sometimes foster parents just need to hear, we know this is really hard. We get it. This is a hard, hard job, or this is a hard thing that you signed up for, but we understand and we want to support you. And that can go so far for a family just to be heard and acknowledged, and then they can keep going. So I love to hear you say that, and our listeners will love that as well. You did decide to go for it again, right? We did. (laughs) Yes, we did. So when the girls were about a year and a half old, we decided, well, actually I decided, my husband wasn't quite on board yet, but I decided that I felt like another baby was coming. And I sort of started having that same pool that I had before of constantly thinking about that I was being called to bring another child into my home. And I would then 
think about it and, and say to myself, oh, no, you know, we don't have really the space. But actually, you know, one of our rooms is just an office. So if we moved some of that stuff, that could totally be a room. And so anytime I thought of a reason why it wouldn't work to bring another baby into our home, I felt like God was also saying, no, but you can work it out this way. And that was just something I just kept thinking about constantly. So I just kept kind of coming back to this idea of another child. And I um, brought it up to my husband and he was just like, no, we're done. (laughs) And so then I just started praying, you know, God, if this is something that you're putting on my heart, then, you know, please, you know, try to soften my husband's heart to it because I'm a huge believer in that we have to be on the same page about Mm -hmm. it. You know, I always say that. Definitely. It's, it's such a hard journey. You just yes. can't do it if you're not you on the You need team. to be in it to win it, both of you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, it was a few months later, we were talking about it and Sergio finally said, yeah, you know, we're, let's do this. So I called up our county agency and I let them know that we were interested in opening up our home again, um, hopefully to a case that looked like it would lead to adoption because we wanted to grow our family. We also wanted to get a little boy because we already have two girls. And also I wanted to keep the birth order. So I wanted a child mm. that would be under a year and a half. And I was kind of like, you know, if that takes, you know, it was, which is a lot of restrictions to kind of place on a placement. But I was of the mindset that if this takes a year or six months or, you know, however long, that's fine. I, I would rather have a child that's the right fit for our family come mm-hmm. in. So I was fine with waiting, and six weeks later, we got this call for a baby boy that had been safely surrendered. (gasps) Aww. So we brought him home, and um, now we've got our two girls and our son. And we really, as, as we were thinking about bringing a third child into our home, our infertility struggle was difficult, but when you consider the number of treatments we went through to get a positive pregnancy... It really is not a lot compared to many of the infertility stories that are out there. We had two rounds of IUI, and then we achieved a successful pregnancy. So that was something that we could have totally have said, you know, let's do that again, and let's get pregnant again. But having experienced this really special love and really special bond and experience of loving a child that is not born to you, we really wanted to go the adoption route for number three. So we have our little guy. His name is Noah. Aw, uh, of yeah, course, he's Noah. Old now. <laughs> Still Best name. Still finalize with him, but he's just the perfect addition to our family. That's so amazing. When did you start listening to Adoption Now? Oh my goodness. We started, I, I started listening to Adoption Now right in the middle of that really hard time where I thought there might be a biological family member coming forward for our daughter, Grace. I hadn't heard of Adoption Now. I went on Apple Podcasts and I started just searching for adoption and foster care podcasts because I was looking for support. I just wanted to hear other stories. I wanted to hear other experiences. I wanted to sort of imagine every possible outcome of this situation and how I could best prepare myself for potentially not keeping Grace in our home. So I actually found Adoption Now that way, and I listened to all the episodes. And I would say that the, you know, the podcast just really provided me with so much support during that very difficult time. And also the other thing is that when, when we decided to take on the journey of bringing a third child into our home, I kept remembering something that you always say, April, which is that just take the next step. If you change your mind or you don't, you know, want to do it, like just take the next step. And if you feel called to do something, just take that first step 
And if that's something that feels right, then take the next step. And so that's kind of what happened when I called up our local agency to bring in child number three. It was really just, I made that phone call as like, okay, this is, let me just take this first step and see what happens. And it ended up being sort of the catalyst for bringing our baby Noah home. Oh, I love that so much. Thank you for saying that. And I love that I'm a part of your adoption journey. I really appreciate you reaching out. Can you believe you're on the show? I know. This is your story now. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I um, I really appreciate everything that you do, April, for adoptive and foster families. The kind of support that folks get when you're hearing somebody else's story and when you're coming together as a community is so unique and it's it's just so valuable. So thank you. It means a lot to me because, you know, we just want to reach people all over. And so when you reached out to us from California and we know that we were part of your journey, even though we're not connected, we weren't connected yet. Mm-hmm. I just think that that's what it's all about. And that other people have changed the course of your adoption and other people's stories have encouraged you and helped you. And that that's just so important. Sharing our stories is so, so important in our experience. And, you know, we're not here to tell you this is right or that is right, because every time I do it, somebody else comes in and says, oh, I have this other perspective. But it opens our minds up to learning and understanding and really stopping and listening to other people. So I appreciate the beauty in your story. I can't wait to put your family on social media because they are beautiful and it does look like you guys all belong together and you've been through a lot and you do a lot for the adoption community. So I'm really happy that, you know, you're a social worker, but you're also a foster mom, adoptive mom, biological mom. You're just a mom. And so you can use that to help other people. And I think that that is so important. Thank you, Veronica. Yes. I also just want to say if there are folks in California, um, the agency Wayfinder Family Services where I'm at, we really are a place for all families and we actually specialize in serving families for children that are hard to place. So medically fragile, also children with behavioral needs and disabilities. So if folks are considering becoming a foster family, we would love to be a resource for you. And what's your website? It's wayfinderfamily.org. Perfect. Thank you so much. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and remember all of our podcasts are available at our website, adoptionnow.com. Thank you for tuning into Adoption Now. I'm April Fallon. See you next week.